James 3, verses 13 through 18, it reads, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace so I raise a harvest of righteousness. Thank you uh, to uh, Martin and Angela work with me at Hope International. Martin teaches apologetics and ethics, and Angela teaches both of us. <clears throat> the last time I shared with this congregation, I talked about perspectives, and just two weeks ago, if you remember, Rob Penner talked about, uh, he also talked a little bit about perspective. If you remember, uh, sorry, I didn't get his slides, but he, he showed three slides. One was of a baby in a tree, another of two women, if you remember the black and white contrasted, and a third of a man that spelled liar. For some of us, it was difficult to see the images because they were disguised in the background of the picture. I have trouble with those kind of pictures. My wife goes, oh, you can see them, can't you? And I'm staring. She has to help me out. In the physical world, we learn that our perspectives are, or the way we see things are blurred, or they're often in tension between learned traits and our genetic predisposition. And in our spiritual lives, our perspectives are also in tension between learned truth from the Bible and our sinful predisposition. Well, today we want to explore how we can see things from God's perspective and know if we're going in the right direction. So just pray with me as we begin. Father, I just ask that you will um, open our hearts, make us teachable today. Um, illumine your word to us. Help me to be clear in communication, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Now, without looking to your neighbor, please raise your right hand and point to where east is. Some of us learn very early in life what a compass is and how to orient ourselves by the sun, and some of us can read maps well. 
So some of you kind of chuckled and struggled, and only about half the hands went up. Now, my second question is, and hope international people can't answer this, uh, if you can tell me how to get to Crab Island, raise your hands. Even less. I'm not surprised. Some of you haven't even heard of the place. That's where the school is located, by the way. Some may have heard of the place, but you've never visited. No problem. You may not be worried because someone would drive you there. Or you could take a taxi. Or if you drive, you would consult with your GPS and find the way. Each of these ways relies on some wisdom. It could be your memory of the place and how you got there. It could be the driver's knowledge of the local destinations. Or it could be a map, either electronic or hard copy. All of these methods rely on an understanding of north and where one is in relation to north and the destination you have in mind. You see, every map is oriented to north, and even our cell phones and the internet search engines have a compass set to the magnetic north. We're planning to move back to Texas, and I'm presently looking for a house in a city where I've never lived. And each time a home comes up on the screen, it indicates where north is. I think we have a, a map here, yeah. See up in the corner there, that little circle, and I've got a red arrow? There's a little N down at the bottom. So the house that I'm looking at is the one with the green, and it kind of puts things in perspective. I can tell where north is. The second slide is of the exact same house, but now north is up top. It gives me a perspective from the other side of the house. You see... As I scroll through an area looking for churches and shopping and grocery stores, banks, the map constantly orients me to north. So all the sites are in relation to some landmarks, the sun or the magnetic north. I've got a slide here for Proverbs 2, 1 to 5 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom... And applying your heart to understanding, applying emphasis there. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Wisdom helps us find our spiritual destination, and it always uses a true bearing based on who God is. Now, I'm talking about a moral compass. The one I'm talking about is found in the fear of the Lord and knowledge of God. And I'm, I'm not sure why God put this on my heart. Uh, you know, usually, those of you that have preached, uh, it's a bit daunting for me because uh, God's word always speaks to the speaker first. I'm looking around at those that preach, and they're all nodding. Um, and I'm very aware that my name in Chinese, B-E-N, B-E-N says bun. So, um, God has ways of keeping us humble, okay? What is the fear of the Lord, and what is this wisdom? If the number of times a phrase is used in Scripture deems the subject important in God's eyes, we need to take these two terms seriously. The phrase, fear of the Lord, is mentioned more than 300 times in the Bible. 
And that tells us God wants us to know how important it is to fear him. In many of these verses, he tells us what will become of us if we do indeed fear him. And what will happen if we do not fear him. Let's take a look at some of these verses about the fear of the Lord and what wisdom is. Now, you've often heard that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's that, that quote is probably five or six times, Proverbs 1, 7, Proverbs 9. It's in Ecclesiastes, Isaiah. But what is wisdom? There's a verse in Proverbs that's often caught my attention. And I think there's books written on this, but I didn't go to those. Proverbs 9, 1 says... Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out its seven pillars. Anyone know what those seven pillars are? You see, if we know them and know what wisdom is held up by, we can know the right direction. In many of the books, not just the Old Testament, but you go through entire scripture, in the chapters leading up to this key verse, there are many, many attributes of wisdom and practical guidelines for living. Wisdom's a bit like a pearl in an oyster. You can't just look at the oyster and see the pearl. You have to seek it, and you have to respect the sharp edges to the shell and the muscles that hold that shell together. The pearl itself is created by layers and layers of the mother of pearl as it grows. It's over an irritant, and it takes a long time to grow in perfect shape and size. And if it's artificial, which we have many of those in cultured pearls, they're usually not the same quality and they're usually not perfectly round. In the same way, attributes of wisdom are layered. So just as at first the pearl is small and it needs time to grow and add to the pearl bit by bit, so wisdom needs to be built up by these pillars. This means we'll not gain wisdom at once, but that it's a starting point in our relationship with God, and it's also a process by which we come to know this fearful God who also loves us. The Holy Spirit teaches us by steps in many areas of our lives. For example, we, we in, uh, the Holy Spirit and I, I always love this, I didn't ask uh, them which songs to pick but one, but there was a lot about holiness in those songs. If we look at the facets of holiness, we see they too are acquired in steps. And it's not just one step. You don't just become holy. Even though God tells us to be holy as he is holy, it, it helps to understand that becoming like him is a process. The same can be said for the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you have them all? Love, joy, peace. I see Joanne smiling. Maybe she's the only one with all the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We all want to be that way, but we don't get that way just because we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have to be refilled and we have to grow in that process. I think we've got a slide for 2 Corinthians 7. One tells us, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. There's that word again, fear of God. In a Christianity uh, Today article, Johanna Reardon says, we often hear people explain the fear of the Lord as a mere respect or reverence. 
But if the Bible uses the word fear 300 times in reference to God, we make a serious mistake when we downplay it. The subject becomes even more mysterious when we read something like 1 John 4.18 that says, perfect love expels all fear. So how do you marry this dichotomy? How can we fear God while he expels all fear? It's clear from these passages that fearing God is good because it saves us from caving into our own sinful nature. That's why hearing someone is God-fearing actually makes us trust that person more. If they fear God, they're more likely to keep their word and treat others with kindness. In fact, Romans 3, a classic chapter on sin, says that we all sin, none of us are righteous, and we have no fear of God at all. That's the damning phrase. A good example of gaining trust was before Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and as he was explaining that he could be trusted, he said it was because he feared God. That was sufficient for his brothers. If you remember, they went back, told Jacob that their father, that the Egyptian leader was demanding he send the youngest son. Have we taken this position of mere reverence and lost the full understanding and nature of the God we say we worship? The God we say called us to serve? The God we say we follow, but then we go contrary to his commands and word. We want so much to have God as our loving father and Jesus as our friend and brother that we sometimes minimize God's holiness and his awesome power. We're going to sing that last song when we conclude our service, and I hope you can see these references to holiness and wisdom and God's power in that song. Psalm 25, 9 to 14 says, it has great promises. It talks about friendship. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. There's a slide for uh, verse 14. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Friendship. It's a longing seated deep within all of us. It can be developed with the Lord of the universe. That, to me, is just incomprehensible. But as these verses show, it's only for those who fear him and those who are humble. So think about that. You want to be friends with God, but if you don't fear him, it won't happen. As we look at these scriptures, let's focus on just two other pillars beside fear of the Lord that show off in, in supporting wisdom. We've mentioned one, they are obedience and humility. When God spared Isaac and provided a ram, he said to Abraham, Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham had passed the ultimate test of obedience. That's one of the pillars. And God knew that Abraham's fear of God was what enabled him to be willing to sacrifice his son. I was looking around this morning. Oh, there's one coming here right now. Babies, how many of you would be willing to sacrifice your kid? 
especially if they're 12 years old, which is about what we, uh, Isaac was. Incredible obedience based on the fear of the Lord. In Exodus, we see that God rewarded the Israelite midwives with their own children because they feared him. The Israelites feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses when they saw his power in the plagues. They also feared him so much when God roared in the thunder and he brought lightning, he trumpeted, brought down fire and smoke on the mountain. They were so afraid they didn't even want to face him. God intends fear of him to keep people from sinning. Yet we in our mere reverence do not remember the true nature of Almighty God and we test his patience and love by not fearing him. If God intended fear of him to keep us from sinning, and we don't truly fear him, doesn't it follow that we're going to stay in our sin? Uh, like they said, I'm an administrator in a school. Over many years, I have gained the ability to discern the qualities of a good teacher. And there's a bunch in here today. I looked around, I was kind of surprised. The good teacher always has command of the class, and even though they love their children, there is the fear factor. I always tell my new teachers, those kids better be afraid of you, just a little bit at least. No nonsense, high expectations, always on task, yet still allowing for failure as a way to nurture and develop the learner. When I attended a British boarding school as a youngster, we did not disobey the Australian coach because he was the best and we feared him. We loved him, but he also gave the hardest caning. I speak from experience. You can see the fear factor is in, in good parenting too. Children know who is in charge. Is it mom and dad or me? They understand what needs to be done. We show them how to get things accomplished, and we praise both the effort and the result. So as with good teachers, there's a fear factor with good parenting, too. Our moral compass is set on God using wisdom that we learn as we fear him and obey him and become humble. Here's the most important thing you need to know about a compass. There's no point in having one if you don't know how to use it. Worse probably worse yet, if you know how to use it and don't set the bearings, you can go far off the course. Our spiritual compass is set to the commands and nature of God, much like a GPS or phone is set to the magnetic north, not to the direction we choose or mark down in our plans. We're making lots of plans, my wife and I, and if they're not guided by God and the Holy Spirit, we can really go astray quickly. If we don't fear him, do not use our moral compass, our sinful instincts, and our personal preferences will just turn us horribly wrong. For example, the people of God knew the law. They knew how awesome he was, but they often did not serve him or willfully turn their backs on him. Just like the Israelites, God puts us on a path, but we need to follow the cloud by day and the fire by night. That's how we keep our bearings. And sometimes he takes us on a detour, but we just want to keep going rather than turn as he guides us. I've often pictured that cloud, and when it starts to move, you better pack up things and move and go with the cloud pretty quick. You didn't say, 
Well, you know, we can see the cloud. It's a long ways off. In a couple days, you know, no, they lickety-split. They started working and packing up and following the cloud. So sometimes God does take us on a detour. Maybe you came to China with eager expectation of what God was going to provide. But the pressures of life may have caused you to forget your role in the family, maybe your job, your ministry. Your role will become so important that you're focusing on those things rather than what God has been trying to teach you and the direction he wants you to take. Maybe your family does not get the time they deserve because you're so involved with the responsibilities of this life that you deem so valuable that you've lost the true north and you're trying to justify going your own direction. I've done that plenty of times in my life. Maybe God gave you this position to teach you more about him and his sovereignty but you mistakenly thought it was about what he wants you to do. Let me say that again. Maybe God gave you this position or this time in your life to teach you more about him and his sovereignty, but you mistakenly thought it was about what he wants you to do. Maybe God brought you here to work on your marriage instead of all the great things you plan to do for him. I'm sure he wants you to do great things for him, but why did he bring you here? James 3, the passage that... uh, Marty and Angela read, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. And it talks about all the negatives. And it says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Do you see all those qualities that are also the fruit of the Spirit? Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial, sincere. If fear of the Lord and obedience are two pillars of wisdom, then humility is the one other, and perhaps the most difficult, certainly for me, of the pillars to put in place. Submission is easy to expect of others but hard to demonstrate, especially if we're placed in a position of leadership in a ministry or a job or the family. Humility is always gained at the expense of pride. What did we learn about meekness last Sunday? Well, first of all, I learned that meeked can be a verb, so I went and checked if he was right. I checked it, Googled it, see, is that really a verb? Um, But meekness, we learned, is not weakness, right? It involves submission to God, knowing that our authority or position is purely a gift and an opportunity to grow in the fullness of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of false humility. People learn to say the right things. They appear to be self-deprecating. Oh, no, 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 don't do that. No, it's not me. They act as though praise is undeserved, but then they turn around and exhibit prideful acts and words. This is false humility, and it's a sin. So as we go through the Sermon on the Mount in the next few months, take a look at how often Jesus describes the fruit of the Spirit, the qualities of holiness, and the pillars of wisdom. They're there in Jesus' teaching. Be encouraged to know that as long as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've prayed for wisdom more in the last five years 
than any other period in my life. Um, God is using my experiences to teach me his nature of holiness and to gift me with fruit of the Spirit. But if I only treat God with mere reverence, and I really don't fear him, I live a hypocritical lifestyle, I sing the worship songs talking about how loving this God is, without fearing him, I'm in danger. If I'm told by his spirit to turn and follow a certain direction and I don't obey, I'm essentially telling God I don't fear him. If I do not follow the moral compass God has given me, I will get seriously lost. So I'm going to have some verses put up here. I'd like you to read them out loud um, with, uh, as we go through. There's a series of them, They're just the ones that I selected. So please read along with me. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up to prepare for the last song, and as they do, I'm going to conclude by just reminding you that there's a striking message of contrast if you read Proverbs and the wisdom literature. Wisdom is always contrasted with Foolishness. None of us wants to be a fool because fools have no moral compass. So if we fear him, we obey the Lord, and if we become humble, God promises us that we will be given wisdom from above. Nothing can be more exciting and encouraging than that. Amen.